How's everybody doing? All right. Well, welcome to Livingstone Church. We are excited to have you here this morning. Excited to be praising and worshiping God together. If you're visiting with us, grab one of these little things and fill it out for us if you would and throw it in the box, the offering plate when it comes by. Um, We're so glad you're joining us for worship. We're just excited to celebrate what God is doing in our hearts and lives. And there's a ton of announcements and stuff that are in your bulletin on the flyers and in the and that's in there. So if you would read over those, check this out. Just a couple I'm going to point out. One of them is our foundations class happening November 14th. Um, if you'd like to know more about our church family, more about what we believe and why we gather together and why we celebrate God, come and join us for that class. Or if you want to, you're like, hey, I want to become a member, then this is the road in which to become a member of the church as well. So please join us um, for that on November 14th. And then um, also the boxes, you saw the Christmas shoe boxes. Those are due back the November, the November 16th to the 23rd. I'm supposed to get readers, but I'm fighting it terribly. Okay, but um, I'm really excited to be here this morning, coming off a great conference this weekend and a great day yesterday of just having fun celebrating things. Yesterday was um, Bill. Some of you know Bill really tall. Bill, you can always tell Bill because Bill's really tall and Lois is really little. And um, Bill's 80th birthday was... So, I said, I said little, and I should, <laughs> I'm working on it, you know, um, and uh, it was our 80th birthday yesterday, and so we celebrated that, and then Avalon's birthday, and then pumpkin carving, it's just a lot of fun activities going on right now, and just, a, I love fall, it's just a great time, and leaves are changing colors, it's a beautiful time of the year, but so we're really excited, I, I got it, this is my second time going to the music set this morning, and I'm, I'm really excited to get to this. So I'm going to shut up, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to turn it over to Glenn. And, man, just, I hope you come ready to just sing praises to God and just have your heart touched. So please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for what you're doing, and, Lord, in our hearts and our lives. And, Lord, we want you to just be powerfully present here right now in this place, um, that our hearts and our lives would be open to you and open to what you're doing and what you're working out. And, Lord God, we would not stiff-arm you this morning. And, Lord God, that you would work in our hearts, in our lives, you'd work amongst us in our relationships with each other, in our community. Lord God, you would just teach us who you are this morning and the power of your might and the great opportunities we have to worship you. And Lord, we recognize this morning, Lord God, that there is no God greater than you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we come desiring to have you work in us this morning. We pray this and our Savior's most holy, awesome, powerful name, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, stand with me, please, if you can. Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness tonight. I challenge everybody in the first service, if we can just, if we can just get close to ascribing what God is due in worship this morning, we'd be doing well. Um, he's just glorious and majestic and wonderful and beautiful, and uh, we're going to sing. You are fairer still today. Are fairer still today, precious Jesus Lord, you are adored as we 
morning. You're worthy of our joy and affection and praise and adoration this morning. We are grateful for what you've done for us. And every day, your grace is new. It is wonderful and amazing. And we continue in worship now. God, we just offer you our prayers. Um, we know we can come to you. You're the glorious one. You are God. We are not. Uh, let's just pray together as Robert leads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so in awe of the way you work, Lord, and what you offer us, Lord, and your love and grace and mercy. The beautiful place that we live, Lord, we can just see your glory all around us. Lord, and we are just humbled by the fact that you would pursue us, you would love us, and that you're patient with us in all circumstances. Lord, we ask as we move forward for wisdom and discernment and all that we do, Lord, from little decisions to big decisions, Lord, that we would turn to you for guidance, truth, and wisdom to make uh, the choices that you would desire us to make. Work in our hearts so that can become a reality, Lord. Lord, we lift up Mary Ann Fuller as heads into surgery tomorrow, Lord. We just ask that your hands would be in that situation, Lord, that you would provide a perfect situation, Lord, and a quick recovery for her, Lord. As well as Eleanor Van Epps, Lord, we also ask that you be with her this week as her surgery comes and just uh, be a calming presence in those situations, Lord. Lord, for the Pequecho family, Lord, that's traveled to Mexico to be a family, we just ask that you give them safe travels and that that time would be a time where you can be honored and all that goes on, that you can be glorified in that. Lord, we just pray for our valley, the hearts out there, the people that don't know you, Lord. We just ask that you would continue to open doors and provide opportunities for us to share your love with those that don't know you yet, Lord. Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunities you present and you give us. Lord, and now we just are so grateful that you've given us the opportunity to to honor you, to praise you, to worship you, and bring you glory through the actions of bringing what you've blessed us with back to you. Lord, and we offer up our offerings to you as a sacrifice, as a symbol that you have blessed us, and that all that we have is for your glory and to be used for your kingdom work. And we thank you for that opportunity, Lord. Continue to be with our hearts the rest of today as we worship and honor you and bring you glory in all that we do. In Jesus' wonderful and precious name, we say amen. you 
temptation comes my way. But when I cannot stand, I hold on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Cause Jesus, you're my hope and a special place if you are from three years old to fifth grade. You get to keep worshiping Jesus. Coming up front, follow Miss Kelsey. <laughs> Come on up. Go. You're going out the door. Thank you, Miss Kelsey. And Ray. <laughs> How fun. Take with your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 16 this morning. Ethan's got a shirt in regards to Memorial Day that we found that we really like, and I think it applies to the situation. Oftentimes when we see a video like that, we can begin to pity, begin to mourn, maybe individuals who are serving God in such a capacity. But, you know, it's not that we should mourn or pity them. We should pray for them. We should support them, and we should thank God that such men and such women exist who are willing to go to the hazard for their faith and serve God in places that no one else wants to go and serve and take a message of Jesus Christ to their neighbors, to their friends, co-workers, knowing full well what it may cost them. We need to rejoice in what they're doing, and we need to rejoice in God has placed them so I think we should do that right now as we're preparing to hear from the Lord this morning from his word. Father God, I thank you for Pastor Suda. I thank you for the many that are right now covertly ministering in Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, throughout the Middle East, also in places in China where it is still very hostile to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you for those that you have called. And Lord, may we 
as your people really begin to wrestle with and understand the importance of praying for them, to be interceding on their behalf. And Lord God, we thank you for organizations like the Voice of the Martyrs that continues to support those in places where persecution against the church exists. Lord God, we need to be reminded more often of those that are suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to lift them up constantly in prayer. As we were commissioned and called to do in Ephesians chapter 6, to constantly be in prayer for the saints. Lord God, thank you for such men and such women that love you, are called, and answer the call. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16, 1 through 12. Um, it's an interesting passage as we open up your Bibles there this morning. As we look at this, once again, confrontation between Jesus, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And we're going to see these confrontations increase as we move forward in the life of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. We read here in Matthew 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be storming today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets were gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets were gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Father God, we thank you so much for the power of your word. Lord, we just pray that as we study this passage together right now, Lord, that you would impact our hearts and our lives. And you would strengthen us and you would equip us to live the life you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How many of y'all have ever tried to carry on a conversation in a loud, crowded room? Anybody? Yeah? See. I've done this a few times, and I've talked with people, and I think I'm getting what they're saying. 
And I'm nodding my head north and south as, as they're talking, and I think and I'm getting pieces. It's hard to hear. You're not getting the full conversation, but you think you're getting the overall gist of the conversation. That is until you get back in the car with your wife, and your wife shares with you, oh, my goodness, can you believe all that that person's going through? And you're like, I thought they were talking about this. No, they, they were going through all this stuff, and there was, there's this mistaken understanding of what actually they were talking about. And this morning, we've got this idea, this mistaken understanding of what the disciples thought Jesus was talking about and what he was actually talking about. Though not in a crowded room, they got fixated on something else that deterred them from being able to understand what Jesus Christ was teaching them. But in order to get to that passage, we first go through this this first section in verses 1 through 4, dealing with this test that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to address Jesus with. It says here in verse 1, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. Now, once again, unlikely people joined together to confront Jesus. And I was really wrestling with this. Talked to Glenn about this this morning. Like, what do we have in today's society that would help us understand this Pharisee and Sadducee relationship with the Jewish people? Because in today's modern-day Protestant, independent church that's not part of a larger organization, it's kind of hard for us to kind of wrap our mind around this. For those that grew up in kind of a Catholic upbringing or maybe a higher church upbringing where they had bishops and, and priests involved, they may get this a little bit better than most of us do. But at the Catholic church, when you're in the Catholic church, there's no real questioning the Catholic church. You don't question the priests. They're the absolute authority, and your job is to follow what they're saying. And in the Protestant church nowadays, we really don't have that position or that role. But back in the Jewish times, they had people that were that way. You see, the Pharisees, the scribes, these guys are the masters, the leaders of the law, they interpret the law. And the Sadducees were three different authorities that were part of what is called the Sanhedrin. Well, the Sanhedrin was the ruling, governing body over the Jewish faith. If you needed something interpreted, if you needed somebody to understand something, you would go to the Sanhedrin. They had authority. You did not question the Sanhedrin. You can get in big trouble if you go and question the Sanhedrin. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he starts addressing the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees and telling them they have missed understanding the law, the very thing that they said that they do better than everybody else, this is going to stir some things up. And so when Peter in Matthew 15 makes the statement, Jesus, don't you know you've just offended the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes? They were a little fearful, that cold sweat trickling down the back of their spine. They're going, oh my goodness, Jesus, you're really rocking the boat. And so for us to begin to understand what is going on in the disciples' minds, what is going on in Jesus' mind, we have to begin to really understand the authority, the power that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had. Now what's ironic about this passage, the Pharisees and scribes didn't get along. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they outright hated each other. They were part of this Sanhedrin. The Sadducees, during this time, had a greater political power in the Sanhedrin than the Pharisees did because there was more of them. And so they had more authority, more power. And so the Sadducees would sit there and scream and yell at the Pharisees, and the Pharisees would turn around and scream and yell at the Sadducees. And so when you, the Jewish reader reads this text and he hears the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, wait a minute, they're in the same sentence together, and they're not yelling at each other. Something's off. Well, they have a common enemy. 
And the common enemy is Jesus Christ. And some of you may think, well, they got mad at him because he was doing all these miraculous works and people started following him. You know what? I don't think the miraculous works of Jesus Christ bothered them that much. People were getting healed. Cool. Nice stuff. It's, it's almost as if they might come up to him and say, what's your political bent? You know, are you a Sadducee? Are you a Pharisee? Are you a scribe? You know, and maybe, maybe they thought that maybe they could win him over. And, and it really wasn't. I mean, his teaching ruffled feathers. Don't, don't miss it. It ruffled feathers, and they, they didn't like it a whole lot being told that they weren't the experts in the law that they thought they were. No, what really hacked them off was his proclamation to be the son of God. That united them like nothing else. Jesus' statement that I'm, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one that's promised, I'm the one that's to come. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. These things that Jesus stated. So if somebody comes to you and says, nowhere in scripture does Jesus ever claim to be deity or claim to be God. You just open up the word and come talk with me and we'll, we'll have a little chat and you can take him back some straight. He does several times. But Jesus Christ, because his proclamation to be the very son of God, unites the Pharisees and unites the Sadducees to come and to address Jesus Christ. Now one of the things here that we see, is they came to test him. And that kind of perked my attention a little bit as I was studying this text this week. Test him. What was it they were going after? And I said, you know what, I wonder what, how Matthew views this word test. Because sometimes, and an author in the Bible can use certain words for positive and for negative things. So I was like, I wonder how they use this word test. Is this a positive or negative thing? So I began to, to search Matthew and began to see how many times this word is used and who it's used for. Well, it's used... For the Pharisees, it's used for the Sadducees, and it's used for the scribes for when they approach Jesus to test him. And it's used for Satan. When Satan comes to test Jesus before going out 40 days in the wilderness. While 40 days in the wilderness. This is not a positive term. When it says that the Pharisees and Sadducees unlikely people to join together for a common anything, they come to test him, this is an evil, and this is a setup. And they asked, to show, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, what do the Pharisees and the Sadducees want more than anything else? They want the physical kingdom present on the earth now. They want the Caesar dead. They want Pontius Pilate thrown out. They want the Herods gone. They want a true king established in the kingdom to reign over all the earth. They want this kingdom here now. And so when they say they want a sign from Jesus Christ, they want Jesus to show that he is the political figure that is going to reign over the earth. And they want him to wipe out the ruling authorities. But the problem is, what they're thinking is, that there can be no eternal kingdom until the heart has been changed. Back in Matthew 15... We see Jesus making this statement that the heart's messed up, the heart's defiled. And until the heart gets made right that only God can do, there can be no kingdom because guess what? It'll just turn back into a mess of sin and muck again. And God's going to have to dial up another army and wipe out that kingdom because they won't pursue God until their hearts have been changed. The heart's got to get changed. And so Jesus has had enough. 
And what's interesting about this passage, if, you've, if it sounds vaguely familiar, it is, because Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 12, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. This is round two. Round two. Versus the Pharisees and the scribes that come to talk to Jesus to ask for a sign. This is round two after Jesus has fed the 5,000. As Jesus has fed the 4,000. As Jesus has shown his power and his might and his abilities. As the Canaanite woman has expressed her faith. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees still show and demonstrate that they're missing the point. This is round two. Do you think Jesus is getting a little bit tired of the same thing coming from the same people? Maybe a little bit. And so Jesus responds, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. But in the morning, you'll say, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Jesus is saying, you guys are great weathermen. You can look in the heavens, and you can see, and you can understand that, hey, it's going to be a nice weather tonight because of the way the sky is, or it's going to be bad weather today because of the weather the sky is in the morning. There's actually a, a quote here, and I had it in my notes, and I forgot my notes, and then Katrina and Mike said, oh, we know, we know that quote, and let's see if I can find it. There's too many pockets here going on. Oh, that's not it. There we go. That's it. Here we go. That's my allowance. Um, here we go. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Well, it sounds very much like the passage we're dealing with. It was this common knowledge of, hey, if the sky looks like this, it's going to be a good day. If the sky looks like this, it's going to be a bad day. Jesus is telling them, you knuckleheads can look to the sky and you can see how the weather's panning out and you could say, oh, it's going to be a good or bad weather day. But you can't even look around you and discern the times that are happening right in front of you. And you're supposed to be the experts of the law. You're supposed to be the guys that, that get it. Look with me at Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 it gives an indication. So Isaiah is Old Testament. So you go to the left for Matthew. And keep going. He's a pretty major prophet going on. Isaiah, Jeremiah. And, and Isaiah 35 We read of the ransom shall return, the coming of the kingdom, the joining together of Israel. And, and there's some indicators they're to be looking for, for when the end times start to be fulfilled and the kingdom starting to be established, there's some things that they're supposed to be aware of that are taking place. Now, you've got to understand, Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees were supposed to be experts in studying prophetic literature and experts in understanding this book of prophecy in Isaiah. So as a prophet... God would appoint a man to go and tell the people of Israel, repent. You guys are sinning, you're, you're, you're destroying things, you're messing things up, and repent and turn to God. But it wasn't always just a message of conviction of repentance, but it was also a message of hope and that God will restore things. God's going to build his kingdom someday, and it's also a message, a prophetic message, a message of foretelling things that God is going to do. And so he says that these are some things that they're supposed to have their eyes looking forward to. Verse 5, in the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, 
and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Oh my goodness, what has Jesus been doing? Jesus has been opening the ears and so that people can hear. Jesus has been helping people walk and, you know, leap, you'll jump up, pick up their mat and following him. All of these things Jesus has been doing. He's helping the blind to see, the mute to speak. Jesus has done all of these things. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes should go, oh my goodness, Jesus has done all of these things. This is exciting. And instead of getting excited about what is to come and the kingdom is upon them, they instead failed to worship and failed to miss the greatest sign of all, the presence of the king. He's in their midst. And so Jesus says to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Now, what's he mean here? Evil we get. People who run away from God, who do sin, and, and we get evil. But what does it mean, adulterous? Is this what all these folks are cheating on their wives? No, they're cheating on somebody absolutely worse. They're cheating on God. They're very people that were called to be the people of God. Instead of having God reigning upon their hearts and lives, they've replaced God on the throne of their heart with something else. And they pursue their own power, their own might, their own understanding. And they've forsaken God. Jesus is calling them out. And he says no sign is going to be given but the sign of Jonah. Now, we've dealt with that again back in Matthew 12, but a quick refresher. What was the sign of Jonah? Well, the story of Jonah, well, Jonah's one of those prophets in the Old Testament. And Jonah was called by God to go and, and tell the Ninevites that they're a bunch of sinners. Have you all seen Veggie Tales? Yeah, Jonah? Slap people with fishes? I love that part. But that's not quite historically accurate. Okay. But they were, Jonah was called to go confront the Ninevites with their sin. And Jonah says, no way, God, <laughs> not the Ninevites. And, and you know what's crazy is God was telling Jonah to have a heart for those people, to have compassion on them. And Jonah goes, no way. If I take this message, they might repent. And I don't want those Ninevites to repent. So he runs away from God. Well, God does what God does best. I'll tell you what, you may think you're on a trek away from God and you're able to outrun God. God, you will not outrun God. God has a way of grabbing hold of us by about the nap of the neck and bringing us back. He does it to Jonah by causing Jonah to have a great storm upon the sea as he's running away. And as he's running away, God causes a great storm to come out of the sea. They find out it's this, the storm is because of Jonah, and they toss him overboard. And a great fish swallows him. For three days and three nights, he's in the belly of the whale. Until on the end of that time... God causes the, belt, the whale to throw him up on the shore. The sign of Jonah. But the story of Jonah doesn't end there. The story of Jonah proceeds to go on because of his wonderful smell, because of his skin appearance, because of being in the belly of the whale. The Ninevites know something miraculous has happened to him, and the power of God is upon him. And when he goes and calls them to repent, they repent. Well, the great sign of Jonah that it was to come is Jesus Christ would die. And he would be buried in the grave for three days. And oftentimes when we talk about the death and burial, when we talk about that three-day period, we stop short. You see, the three days ends with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The great sign. And because of the resurrection, people are to repent 
turn from their sin and profess God as their king. Now, the uncanniness and the, the timeliness of this passage in light of what we learned on Friday and Saturday night is just uncanny. We had the privilege and the pleasure of having Craig Hazen here Friday and Saturday night. And he, in the most wonderful ways, taught us that we can be confident in our faith. After that time, you know, I was asking Ethan, I was like, so what would you think of the conference? He goes, Dad, I didn't realize that I could be so confident in what I believe and I don't have to shrink back in fear. The biggest point that Craig Hazen pointed out to us is the pivotal piece of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, can be trusted in and believed in with the most confidence of faith. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. So going right from Matthew, 1 Corinthians, the letter written by Paul to the church in Corinth. And Paul does something amazing here. If you're going to create a false religion, you're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. If, if you're going to create a false religion, the one thing you don't want to do if you're going to create a false religion or something that isn't true is dangle them something in front of somebody that somebody can disprove or attempt to disprove. You want to kind of give a little loosey-goosey information. Here, there, something there, something there, but that's not testable, Okay. You know, just feel-good stuff. If you're going to create a false religion, don't, don't, don't make big promises that can, somebody can hold you to or big things that have taken place in the past that nobody can test. You just make people feel good and, you know, and, and do stuff like this. But Paul does something that is absolutely mind-blowing in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found in to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. What Paul does is he says, here's the resurrection. It all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the string. God's holding the string. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is out there. And if you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's all broken. It all falls apart. We're wasting our time. We're the most to be pitied. You're not supposed to do that. Somebody should have told Paul. You're not supposed to do that, Paul. You're not supposed to give something that can be tested and something that can be. And what's awesome is Craig sat here and taught us how to be able to stand and to defend the fact that the resurrection of Christ cannot just be justified by the word of God, but ancient historical documents that, that people have studied and people have gone over and they've tried to find fault with it and they can't. And they saw all of these events take place and the data, we live in a scientific world, the data presents itself that the only logical conclusion apart from Jesus is an alien is that it's true. It's the only one that meets the data points. And you're like, man, I'd like to know more of what I'm talking about. Guess what? We got permission to record it. 
So we recorded it, and we're going we're gonna to get that up, and we're going to get that post and make it available to you. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, don't miss out on this opportunity to study this. Don't miss it. Please take the time to listen. It will encourage your faith. It will strengthen your faith. And you'll go, man, I don't need to be worried about having conversations with people. This really happened. This is, it's, this is just as factual as the events of yesterday that Shalane won homecoming. It's just, that's an event, and it's factual, right? Well, Jesus' resurrection is just as factual. It's awesome that we can have such confidence in what we believe. Jesus goes on after telling them the greatest sign, the most ultimate sign, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes on to have a dialogue now with his disciples. And what's, what I find very interesting about this passage is this is between Jesus, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. But the disciples weren't present at this point. This is, this is a gift nugget to us as believers, this conversation that took place between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus goes on here. The disciples reached the other side, and they had forgotten bread. Now, any of y'all ever take a trip and forgotten something? A few times, right? Can you imagine driving over to SeaTac? You're going to fly out of Seattle for, for a vacation or for a trip, and, and your wife is, or your family members are sitting beside you, and you're hanging out, and you're supposed to be having a good time, and all of a sudden you're diving down the road, and it's like, dope, and you have one of those dope moments, right? And you, you strike your forehead, or you hit the steering wheel, or like, and everyone's like, what's wrong? You Okay. I forgot whatever. You know, I, I am famous for forgetting my sweatshirts or something for cold weather gear. I'm like, oh, it's going to be warm, right? I'm a weather guy. I like to look at the weather. Oh, it's going to be fine. 60 degrees, 75 degrees. It's going to be nice, warm, and cozy. I forget to factor in the wind. I forget to factor in other things and some rain and other things. And so, great, I'm without a jacket. So driving down the road now, I'm, I'm, I'm driving down the road. supposed to be having a great time with my family, but I'm just beating myself up over the fact that I forgot the things I need. I'm going to have to buy another sweatshirt and add it to my collection of sweatshirts in the doggone closet, right? And i got all these sweatshirts that are going on. So I'm just driving around, and the more I focus, the more I'm driving. My wife's trying to have a conversation with me, or my kids are trying to talk with me, and I'm just so focused on this thing that I forgot that I'm just not hearing them. And my wife says something about cold. I'm like, yes, I forgot my jacket. I wasn't talking about the jacket. But I'm so focused on it. I mean, this is what the disciples, what's going on with the disciples here. They are so focused on this fact that they didn't bring bread. Right? Judas is the money keeper. So Judas is probably supposed to go out and buy some bread or, or somebody go with Judas and buy some bread because we, Judas really, we know he can't be trusted. You know. Somebody needs to go with Judas, right? And he gets the bread and you're supposed to bring it with him on this trip and they're crossing back over and Jesus approaches them and says, beware Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples are going, we know we forgot the bread. We're sorry. We're sorry we forgot the bread. And they're fixated on the bread. The passage goes on to say, and they just began discussing it amongst themselves. We brought no bread. I knew Jesus was going to be ticked. Knew it. Judas, this is your fault. Matthew, this is your fault. Peter, aren't you supposed to be the one to go with him this time to get the bread? And they're having this discussion amongst themselves. And then they're, they're, oh, man, they're fixated. They're focused on this. And Jesus has got a little vein popping out on his head at this point. Now he's just dealing with the Pharisees, round two with these jokers. And they're not getting it. They're missing it. And now his disciples, once again, we just read in 15 how Jesus has to rebuke them, saying, why are you guys slow in understanding this? Jesus is now going, oh, my goodness. Oh, you of little faith. Here it comes again. 
you knuckleheads. You are so fixated on the material. I'm trying to teach you about the eternal. I'm trying to teach you about the things that you need to be aware of and the times in which we are living in. And that the ultimate sign of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, people are going to stand against it. Beware of the leaven. Beware of the false teachings that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to continue to perpetuate about Jesus Christ. They're going to continue to teach others and try to pull people away from who Jesus is. You guys got to snap out of it and be aware of what they're going to do. And you got to quit worrying what they think about you. I know they're the big religious leaders. I know they have this power and authority. But nobody has greater power and authority than I do. I've demonstrated that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak. I've calmed seas. I've helped Peter walk on the water. I've divided up bread. Hey, you guys are so focused on bread. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember? Five loaves for 5,000. Remember that? That just happened. It just happened. I took five loaves and I made so much food that 5,000 plus people ate and were full. And then there were how many baskets left over? Twelve. Twelve for the Jewish people that he ministered to. And then Jesus goes into the Gentile region and he does it again. This time seven loaves for 4,000 plus people with seven baskets left over. You knuckleheads, quit focusing on the material. Quit getting wrapped up in your material world. I am provider. I will take care of your needs. Stop it. But what you've got to be aware of is the spiritual attacks that are going to come your way. You've got to have your head up. You've got to have your eyes looking out. You've got to be scanning your sector. You've got to be ready to go for when they come at you. The spiritual attacks are going to come. You've got to be ready. And they're going to come from these guys. They're going to come from the guys that you trust to bring the word of God faithfully. The ones who are supposed to know the law expertly. You're going to have to be aware of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to be aware of the truth. And you're going to have to help lead other people through these dangerous times. And brothers and sisters, times have not changed. The people that are supposed to be leading the church and watching over and the doctrines and the truths that we hold near and dear about Jesus Christ, we have gotten scared and we've shrunk back and we're fearful and we're afraid. What I loved about Craig is he came up here and he shared these things with us and we walked out going, I can believe what I can believe and not be afraid. I don't have to shrink back in fear. I don't have to. I can talk logically, philosophically with people. And the truth of Jesus Christ can be walked right into the middle of that conversation. And we can believe because it's true. It's testable. Paul hung that right out there in the middle and said, the truth is Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Try to prove it wrong. And they can't. The History Channel, Jesus' tomb, y'all ever see, you know, the Da Vinci Code, all of these things, right, trying to, but they've come and they've gone. And what remains? The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It remains. Jesus goes on and he says, how is it that you fail to understand that I don't speak about bread? Well, the answer is because you're fixated on the material when I'm trying to teach you about the eternal. Beware of the leaven and the Pharisees. Then they understood. He did not tell them to beware about the leaven of the bread, the thing that causes the bread to rise. But 
of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We are given gifts in our time as we study God's word, as we live life together as believers. I did not plan to preach and teach this passage this weekend. That was a God thing. And it's just blowing my mind a little bit. Maybe not. I mean, just that we're here landing on this when we have just heard this great teaching about how to stand firm in our faith and know that we know and we can believe in it and have faith in it and trust. One of the greatest things, though, that I loved about Craig is how many of you come, I mean, for those who went to conference, how many of you thought he was coming to bring, like, he was going to use huge terms and big, big professor language. And, in fact, I was talking with somebody, and he actually said to me after the conference, I was a little disappointed that he wasn't using some big terms. But, we, I mean, I did too. I, mean, I thought, okay, you know, I was like, please don't use big real terms that nobody can understand. And he came on Friday night. I think we laughed so hard on Friday night as he powerfully brought forth the need for us to stand firm in our faith. And we laughed our way to understanding, man, there's a great need. And then on, sun, on Saturday, he came back and he taught us. And this was a little more professorial, but not big terms, using great stories to illustrate his point. And at the end of that time, those who, you know, walked out of here were walking out going, man, we, we were lifted. Our spirits were lifted. We we're full of joy. But during that whole time he was teaching, he told story after story. He's been on campuses and universities in California. He's been on universities in, in uh, Olympia. He's been on ver- universities throughout this nation bringing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ has risen from the grave. And he's unapologetic about it, but he's not angry about it. And that's what blew my mind. I'm like, you've been, I'm sure, yelled at, cussed at, whatever. I mean, people had probably reacted very violently to your message. But this guy smiled from ear to ear. He was so full of joy, so full of peace and laughter. You're like, you're not jaded. You're not angry. You're not bitter. You're not resentful. That is so cool. And I think because... Back in Matthew, these last couple chapters, when Jesus was doing those miracles of feeding the 5,000, the 4,000, the passage tells us his heart, he had compassion on the people. His heart literally broke for them. And I saw that in Craig. His heart was breaking for the people who are lost, the people who are believing false doctrines, false teachings, And he could come and share this with us, not with anger, bitterness, resentment against them, but because he loves them. He can take this message and share it with them and and not be upset and angry. And that was the most powerful takeaway. Is that we, we don't need to get bent out of shape when people don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, it's gonna happen. People are going to reject the truth. He didn't even get angry when he was talking about Christians who'd forsaken the truth, who'd stopped believing, who'd started going into that. He didn't get angry even then. Because the need for them is to hear the truth and to believe and to repent and to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He did die. He did raise from the grave. And he is the only one able to wipe away our sin. Brothers and sisters, 
we know that we need to be on the lookout for those that oppose Jesus as the promised one, the Son of God. But we don't need to hate them. We need to love them. And we need to speak and talk to them and present Jesus Christ as trustworthy, as testable. And then show the world in which we live that, you know what, we're not afraid to talk about our faith. It's not a blind, ignorant faith. It's a faith founded in beautiful, wonderful teachings in Scripture, which the Scriptures can be, we won't start going down that road, but can be tested as well as the ancient historical documents that prove, that state Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ was crucified the documentation is present. That Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb that was hewn out of rock, that was paid for by J Joseph of Arimathea. It's crazy the, the historical documentation that we have. And then he's not in there anymore. And the, when we look at that, when he's not there anymore, what's our logical conclusion? Amen. He's not an alien in a spaceship, he's alive. He rose from the grave. And if that logical conclusion hits home, people have the opportunity to begin to understand that this is trustworthy. And this is exciting. Not that we can argue people into the kingdom of heaven. It's got to be a Holy Spirit-led activity. But we're called to be able to give an account of our faith. We're called to know and to believe. The other religions in the world, when you start, start prodding at it and poking at it, it starts falling apart. And then you're like, hey, is your, is your religion testable? Is, is there foundational? Is, do you guys have proof that this stuff happened? And all of a sudden it's reduced down to this, well, I, I just know it. I, I just know it to be true. And, and I've got this burning in my bosom. I've got this thing that my emotion that this takes place. For a Christian, our faith goes so much beyond the emotional level. It goes upon God gets a hold of our hearts and our heads. And we can study and we can grow in our faith and know God is who he says without a doubt. We don't need to be angry. We don't need to be upset. We can be encouraged as we walk in obedience to our, to our Father because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The most incredible ultimate sign that has ever existed in all of history. The sign that Pharisees and Sadducees tripped over. The sign that people in our and our culture and our world continue to trip over. But we don't need to be offended by that. We need to be ready to bear witness and to lovingly demonstrate the validity, the testability of our faith. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much. You have loved us so much that you've provided a faith that isn't just something we know in our hearts, but something that we know in our heads and we can believe confidently in and we can share that with other people. We need not shrink back in fear. And Lord, I pray that as some of us have in this room encountered conflict and encountered those who are strongly opposed to the faith, that our hearts would not become angry towards them. We would not hate them or despise them, but rather our hearts would break for them and that we would continue to pray for them and when given the opportunity 
speak of the validity of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for Craig and the gift that you have given him to be able to speak. And Lord, as he's traveling right now to go speak again tonight, Lord, I pray that you would give him safe travel and you would strengthen his body and his heart and his mind. Lord, thank you for his willingness to come to Little Chelan, Washington and to teach us here and his willingness to let us record him and so that this can be continually taught. Lord, we love you. And we want to live our lives not for the material, not to be distracted by this world, but for the eternal. To live in light of the ultimate sign that we've ever been given, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are our king. We pray this in the almighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand with me. We'll sing about Christ is all. He's our only hope. He's the reason. It's all because of the cross of Jesus. Christy taught you this song last week.
What a king. We adore you, Jesus. morning. Thank you for your living word. Thank you for your truthfulness and your trustworthiness and your praiseworthiness, God. You're gracious with us and patient with us. You are so good. In Jesus' name we become Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't think you can call me a liar about the music this morning, right, Dominique? It was awesome, huh? Also in your bulletins, there's a little correction. We're not redoing the conference again next week, so that conference on Friday at 7, I'm going to wind through that. But um, Hebrews 13, <clears throat> verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who is brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. And ever. Amen. Amen. Have an amazing week and be encouraged, church.